Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shankleberg. And this is Carl Carlson. You know, every time we do this, Carl, we sit around and talk about what are we going to talk about? And then we decide something. And I thought that might be a good segue into today's topic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sometimes we we have some amazing conversations before we hit the record button. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's not just you and me. It's I think that the problem is when you get, you know, two people that want to go talk shop a bit and we just get going. And I think that's what's made the podcast, at least for me, so much fun. I get to talk shop with my friends for a while and have a good time doing it. Um, and I was surprised you didn't know the origin story of this podcast. I should mention no, I, that real I, quick. Maybe I knew it and forgot it. I mean, that's very possible, but I didn't uh, didn't know that uh, that little, why don't you share that, Jim? Yeah, no, I was at a, at a conference and there's a handful of us sitting around and, or standing around in the hallway and talking shop basically and, and sharing some ideas and, and, and problems and just this, that, and the other thing and just talking shop. And it was a fun, lively conversation. There's like three, four of us that stand there. And, and one of them, a, a younger woman uh, said, how do we keep this? And I'm drawing a complete blank on her name. I wish I would remember. Um, but she said, how do we keep this going this kind of conversation going when we're not at a conference. And and at about that time, I was starting to do podcasting and learning more about it. And, and I said, you know, that might be an excellent podcast. You know, just talk shop <laughs> and have co-hosts. And, and not an interview show, not a promotional show, not this kind of other thing, but just that show. And... um. 800 and this episode is going to be 867 episodes later. We're still talking shop. I thought when we first started it, I remember it was like, well, we got 10 topics. We might make 20. <laughs> and then we'll run out of things to say. <laughs> we'll run out of things to say. But thankfully we haven't run out. And, and about half the topics that we do talk about are provided by our listeners. They send us notes or comments or questions and, and we, take off on that and and so it's uh and we're getting i think close to a thousand downloads it's really hard to tell how many people are actually listening uh we don't get those kind of metrics at least on the system i'm using we're using but it's um a, we get about a thousand downloads on average per episode within the first couple of weeks of it getting posted Fantastic. so we got a nice audience and it's, of course, it's all of the best and brightest of reliability engineering that, that listen to it. So of course. of course it is. Yeah. But anyway, we, we were chatting about making a decision. And one of the things that we'd started a couple weeks ago, geez, almost a couple months ago was uh, stepping through the book that we put together. And, and the next one was on how do we decide, how do we, how do we align with what the team needs so that the work we do as a reliability engineer informs them and provides them the bits of information that they need in order to create a reliable product. Um, and so I, I don't know if I phrased that quite late, but we ended up writing a whole chapter about it. So I'm sure that two sentences yeah. is going to cover it. Well, in, in just by my own observation, there's two ingredients that have been really important 
Uh, one is to keep the podcasts in some time range that is accessible to people and feasible in, on their schedules. Mm-hmm. So it's not an hour-long podcast. It's a, you know roughly 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and that seems to, to fit better. But more importantly is you have a platform with lots of authors and discussions and articles and books and podcasts creates the the intellectual resources to have discussions because I'm I'm often referring to a center of reliability to find out information uh, and to learn new things and I actually read the articles and and so I think it's a dynamic community and the podcasts build off of that. Oh yeah, no, I I think they all go together. Very good. So a couple of other podcasts we did uh, that that relate to the six steps. So we were starting to move through the primary steps to achieve high reliability. That's at a very high level, obviously. Yeah. And we had identified six steps. And in, in a podcast a while back, we did develop the reliability strategic vision. Yeah, that's podcast had, number 853. Wow, that's impressive, Fred. Well, I don't um, remember it. I'm looking at the list. <laughs> <laughs> don't be too impressed. On perform reliability gap assessment. Yep, 854. Uh, okay. I got it. And then we did a few more podcasts after that that were related to uh, listener questions. So now we're back into the queue, marching through the six steps. And this one would be identify reliability-related decisions. And I'd love to hear your summary, your um, origin, so to speak, of how that entered in, because it used to be a five-step process. Yeah. Well, one of the – I mean – in the five steps, we ended up with a, um, well, then you pick what you're going to do. You know, you pick the methods. You say, you well, got the gap assessment. You got and a then, gap assessment. You know what the goals are and the vision is. And, and, and you're working with the team and then you go, all right, we need to do an accelerated life test or we need to do this. We need to do that. I mean, said, wait a second. How do we know that we need to do that? You know, and we could run off and do an accelerated test just because we'd like to do it. And I don't think we do that. You know, if we do a, a test and nobody needs that information, well, then we wasted a whole lot of time. And I think both you and I, with experience, have said, well, let's do this because in, to a large extent, at least for me, it's been subconscious going, because you need this information. You need to know the answer to this. You need this, you know, you, you're struggling where to focus your, you know, perform or uh, what you need to work on. What are the potential failures and, and you know, do an FMEA. And we just kind of naturally pick these things. And I said, well, let's back up. How do we actually do that? How do we actually um, decide of all the variety of things that we could do, how do we decide in an effective way, not just do what we used to do, I think that's a disaster approach or strategy, Agreed. Um, is how do we select what to work on? And a key element of that is what are the vital pieces of information that we don't have right now? So if we were picking a vendor, right, where we have two vendors and we got two motors and we want the one that will... We need the information because it's pivotal to the design of the product that it lasts 20 years or whatever, right? Which one is more likely to do it? That's an accelerated test or some other technique to create that comparison and provide some evidence to the people that are deciding which vendor to go with. Now, there's also cost and delivery and 
all kinds of other things will go on that into that decision. But the team has said, hey, we need to know which one's going to last to our requirement because it's key to our and then that's a decision that's coming up. It's a request in that regard, but it's a piece of information that they need. And sometimes they ask for it and sometimes they don't realize they need it, but you can, we can talk about that in a minute. But the idea is, is that you pick a method based on what information you need to provide. And then a whole bunch of other constraints. Like if you only got two days, you're not going to do a six month accelerated test. <laughs> kind of thing. There's other factors that go into, but that's a different, different part of it. But an essential element is the goes back to something I know I've said many times on this podcast is that reliability occurs at the point of decision. When we decide to put a, a capacitor next to a screw on a circuit board, it's pretty likely that capacitor is going to get cracked <laughs> and fail. So hopefully it's not important key to the performance of this product. But there was a decision, a decision by somebody doing the layout or an electrical engineer or for some other set of constraints that it impacted reliability. Selecting a vendor for a key piece of or component of your system is often much more rigorously gone over and decided on and, and factored in all these different considerations. But from big decisions to little decisions, they all have an impact on the eventual reliability of your product. So what are they? And then which ones are the ones that we actually need to create information for? That's, that's where it came from is, is we, you and I would naturally just jump, go, Oh, do an FMEA, do this, do that. But there was other factors in there that guided our decision of what to do. Well, and this is what's so fascinating to me is, is and and some of the re- listeners may not know this history, but uh, Fred and I, uh, we have um, had our careers in reliability engineering and management for for decades uh, before we started working together. But we came up with this very similar process, or let me state it this way: we've been using a very similar process, unknown to each other. Mm-hmm. And it was it, essentially when we started talking, it was more like a five star five step process, where you start with the vision, you do a gap assessment. You, I, you um, identify the methods that are needed to close the gaps, and then you develop the plan, and then you execute those five steps. But unknown, unknown to us is both of us subconsciously, there's the step of decisions. And it was d- difficult to surface that until we started thinking about it, because we, yes, we have to integrate what we do in reliability. I'm talking we as the bigger reliability community into the product development process that a company uses. And that product development process, part of the fuel that uh, goes into it are these decisions that uh, are done at different stages. And we want everything we do in reliability should support the decisions to create create a reliable product. And so we surface this very important uh, uh, step in the big process steps uh, that called uh, the uh, identifying reliability related decisions. And then we've started thinking about it and made that the sixth step. It's actually the, the fourth step. Am I getting that right? Or is it third? third? It's the third one. Third step. Yeah. And, and it has its own deliverable. So it basically rose up to that level, but we've been doing it all, all along. Yeah, exactly. And 
when you think about it is the range of decisions are all over the map. It's, you know, what kind of materials are we going to use? What kind of uh, coatings are we going to use? What kind of attachment and manufacturing methods are we going to use? What kind of supply chain trade-offs are we going to consider or use? Um, each and There's thousands and thousands of decisions that are made to create even a simple product. And reliability is impacted by nearly every one of those decisions, in, for good or for ill. And so the the concept is is that a well-run reliability program um, enables all of those decision makers to to consider reliability with the best available information. So we'd create design guidelines and best practices training and reviews of failure analysis to so the rider team is aware of these faults, like never put bare silver down on an electronics board, things like that. We we do all these things to enable other people to, to properly consider the impact of what they're doing on the reliability of the product. Um, but it, when we're asked or tasked to, to create a plan to what are we specifically going to invest in and spend a ton of money on, not just do the standard suite of here's the guideline, here's the, the stack of tests that we're going to run. So but what you and I did, Carl, is we often said, well, that's not sufficient. You know, that's not, we're not learning enough there to actually be useful. So let's actually make a plan and select the te techniques and tools and methods that we're going to pull into that plan and connect them to what actually needs to get done by when. And so you have the, the right method to inform the, the, these, what we call key decisions, the important decisions. And, so the, the first step in that is is identify understand that there's a lot of decisions going on. One, that's a a, a concept you got to start with. There's thousands of decisions that are going to be made. And you're not going to look over the shoulder for every one of those and participate in a meeting on every one of those. That's just not going to happen. So what do you do? Well, and that that therein, and I'll just a sidebar here is that at first I was a skeptic, and you'll remember this. We oh, had yeah. conversations about this The because I, I knew we do it. I knew it's important, but it was so automatic to me. So in part of my the process that I used to achieve reliability, I hadn't codified it or brought, brought it brought it to awareness as to what the steps are. Right. But the but just to, to state that, I've become a believer, so to speak, on, on the subject. <laughs> and you you have to have the previous steps done well. So there, there's a couple things that are important here. One is the, the you have to have a good gap analysis. So you got to understand where the gaps are and where the strengths are. But the other, the next thing you have to do is understand what the decision-making process is in your company. And, and, and this is not easy sometimes because a reliability engineer uh, may be part of one department, but doesn't understand how all the departments come together on their the stage gate process. So you have to become aware of where the decisions are, what they are, what the most important ones are, and then ask yourself how you interact. It's what meetings do you need to be at? You know, what, what table do you need to be seated at is, yeah. is a key part. And, and that's, you need a, a good cover, good management support and all that other stuff. But yeah, you're exactly right. Is is it's it's not just your director saying, "Hey, 
Fred, go run these six tests, or I need to know this, you know, by there's Tuesday. A, there's a one-word answer that, that you can ask your director if you've got a good relationship. Uh, why? Well, there's that. Yes. Yeah, there's a bunch of that too. But sometimes the decision comes to you as a direct request, so That's like the the vendor one. They call you in and say, "Hey, we've got to select these two. We don't know how to do uh, run an accelerated test, but here's why we need it. We need to." pick the one that's going to be economical for this long-term project, whatever. But ask why, what do you need it for? When do you need it? You know, do a full request, make sure you fully understand the request, but that's not enough to create a reliable product. The ones that your team is saying, Hey, I need to know this information. Now a mature team that's really got their act together and understands reliability, they'll draw on your expertise uh, directly. They'll just come to you. And and say, hey, we need to sort this out, this out, this out. And that may be overwhelming. And that becomes to a prioritization part. But keep in mind that there's a whole pile of other decisions out there. And I used to call it red flags. I don't know, I don't know what you called it, Carl, but like the mechanical engineer says, Hey, we're gonna use this new material with this novel new uh welding process. And I would go, hmm, how do we know anything about that? <laughs> Yeah, have we done that before? That's right. Uh, what problems have we run into? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. new feature, anything new, essentially. In, in, in new feature, new material, new design, new process, new manufacturing site, you know, uh, and, uh, all of those things, you should at least do a quick sniff test on it going, do we know enough about this so that it, we're not taking a risk that it'll harm reliability? Or how do we make sure that what we're trying is going to meet the reliability requirements. And, and that's oftentimes you're sitting in a meeting and you're talking to colleagues or whatever, and they go, Oh yeah, we're trying this new, you know, X, Y, Z process and this thing. And we had five of our first six prototypes failed. So we're not sure it's going to work. And like, well, that's pretty good evidence. <laughs> I, I like the term red flag. The, uh, in other words, an antenna goes up. That's the one yeah. that's the phrase I use is the antenna. Your antenna goes up either internally or collectively as part of a group, yep. and that that's your red flag. The uh, so some something's happening, and uh, and then the tying this to the to the gaps I think is important because we always want we always think you should do a gap assessment uh, when you're developing a reliability plan, uh, but the gap by itself doesn't tell you everything because that gap needs to be associated with the product development process. Yeah. If we're not, yeah, if we're not, if a gap is identified and then we're not particularly good at something and so what we don't really need to get better at it for this project, then it's like, yeah, so what? Let's let it ride. Let's take the opportunistic things to improve that for future projects, but it's not vital for this particular program. So let it go. Just because it's a gap doesn't mean you have to have to address it. Which of those gaps are impeding your ability to create the, a reliable product this time. And you've written a lot about uh, value. Yeah. And this is where the value comes in. Because the, a gap, just because it's a gap or it's not been done well or something like that, or you've always done it, doesn't mean it adds value. But if it supports a really important decision, then that adds value. So yeah. I think it, it, it ties into a lot of things that we've talked about over the years and so what are some of the ways um, you would prioritize decisions? Well, it's, uh, I think we ended up with, uh, and by a suggestion 
uh, by a, fr- a colleague of ours and when they're first reviewing the book is we did a two by two matrix and I don't yeah. have the book in front of me, but um, I'm looking at it right now. It's which of the ones that are going to have an impact or, or, you know, on the reliability of it, which, you know, if it's a million dollar question in risk, that's more important than a $5 one that we don't, you know, it's not a big deal. We're not going to worry about it. So one axis is called risk post to project. Is that the one you're That's talking right. about? Right. And, okay. and so if it's, if we get the decision wrong, it'll have a major impact. Our warranty will go up. The product will be delayed. It'll, it'll have a significant impact is on the high end of that scale. And then on the ver- other axis, which things are easy to do? And that goes into that gap analysis. If really, really good at doing accelerated life testing, you know, and we already know that, then, well, you know, we got all the equipment and skills and techniques. We can do that. That's an easy to do thing. Um, if it's calling for something that's going to be an accelerated test, for example, but it's which of the things that we have the capability to do or not, which ones do we have to invest in training or hire people or hire new equipment or, you know, how do we, we don't know how to answer that question would be more difficult than the ones that, oh, we know how to do that. <laughs> So I'll put a uh, a screenshot of this in the uh, show notes, uh, but it's figure five, 7.1. Uh, and so it's on the x-axis, for, it's talking about the risk posed to the project, low or high. And then on the y-axis is the difficulty to address, low and high. And then the ones that, then that helps guide, the, depending on which quadrant you're in, yeah. helps guide and bubble up the most important decisions. Because as you said, there's thousands of them, but we're not going to have thousands of decisions tied to our reliability plan. Yeah. And so obviously the things that are easy to address, but critically important to the project, well, let's let's knock those off. Let's do those. And then it's, what are those critical to the project, but we don't know how to do? Well, that's going to take some head scratching to, to how are we going to deal with that? How, what's our timeline and investment? And, and that's going to be the challenge part of your plan. And then the opposite quadrant or the kitty corner project to that or quadrant to that is that it's, it's not important to the project, but it's hard to do or no, no, no. Yeah. It's the other one is uh, it's uh, not important to the project. It's not vital or critical to the project, but it's easy to do. Well, those are, yeah, that's the low-hanging fruit, you know. If you got opportunity, bundle these together and knock them off. But I wouldn't spend your whole budget on it because the cost-benefit is low on that, right? It might cost you money to run a test, but the information is not vital to the performance of your product later. It's not a high risk to your product. And then there's a group that they poses little risk and it costs you a fortune to go do it or it's very difficult to do. Well, skip those. <laughs> skip those, yeah. And, yeah. and that's really important because you can't do everything. And so prioritizing is essential. And this allows a way to prioritize your efforts before you you finalize and write your reliability plan. And and I really like that. And it makes it visual. So they, the idea there is to make it visible. Yeah. Now, one last note uh, on this decision thing. It's not a one-time event. It's not go out and go go to your team saying, all right, what are the big decisions we need to make? Or what, you know, here's what my list is. What do you need to know? And have a 10 minute discussion on it and you're done. Now, I think we list, I don't know, 10 or 15 different ways to to 
have your feelers out basically and sense when somebody's facing a decision that could impact reliability. There's team meetings and discussions and direct requests and, and the product lifecycle document and, you know, on and on and on and all the new stuff, the antenna going up. That's a continuous process throughout the development program and beyond is always be looking for, oh, we just changed the timeline on this, or we just did this, we, and, we, you know, and what's the impact, and how does the priorities change, and what new decisions coming on. My favorite by far is the simplest example is that it's 10 minutes before you launch the product and the marketing comes in and says, oh, we need to make it blue. You know, yes or some other new feature <laughs> yeah well oh, that's always the case the, the marketing definitely uh left to their own devices they're going to shake things up at the end yeah and camp. so what's the impact and how does you know if there's a new feature being added or there's a pivot in the design concept or something like that well some of the stuff we thought was important before is now mute it doesn't matter or vice versa is like hmm this is a different risk and where does it fit on this matrix? What does it bump? Because we can't do everything. So I think your comment about upgrading or, or modifying on an ongoing basis oh, yeah. uh, decisions, I think that would also apply to gaps. Oh, yeah. You may discover a gap that had been missed yep. and you could go back and it probably applies to a number of the steps. Yeah. No, it's it's writing a plan. And I think the overall arching thing is that writing a plan is not a one-time event. It's it, it is just a plan. And as you go around the bend on a, on a one project and learn something, um, you go, hmm, that's not what I expected. I got to do this, this, and this now to, to move forward. Or the it, different it, challenges show up. And it, It's been constantly my, my, my learning at, during the consulting portion of my career that as much planning as I do when I walk on site at a company, things change. And so you have to be uh, you have to be able to shift when needed. And you're saying that's true when you're doing a reliability plan. Oh, definitely. And it's yeah, it, working with the team and ongoing and, and they run into a dead end on a design solution and they're like, OK, well, I, they don't need the reliability work associated with that piece because that technology is gone now. Let's look at what they're doing new and. It's it's a constant evolution, but by building the ability to sense when you're getting into those key decisions or major decisions. Uh, one last thing to mention on this, I keep saying that, is the, <laughs> uh, don't forget the other thousands of decisions. That's the design guidelines and, and training and and the culture building and encouragement of using resources that are available to your team. Uh, everything doesn't have to go and shouldn't go through the reliability folks. It, it right. Reliability it's part of the way you do business. It's part of the way you do business. And by focusing on the ones that you have the unique skills, talent assets for to, to inform. Yeah. Focus on the important ones. And, and I'll do, I'll, I'll jump in and make one last comment as well. <laughs> we can talk about <laughs> this for the, a while. <laughs> if you can get the activities of reliability associated with, in support of the key decisions in your company, it's a little scary because you're going to interface with management, but it it, it has tremendous benefit to, to the uh, the, the leverage and ability of reliability to bring about the positive change that you need. So it's kind of like connecting to the decisions is part of the advancement of your goals and reliability. 
Yep. Also, I find that it if you're deliberately saying, hey, I'm going to help you get the information you need for this key decision, um, usually builds really good bonds uh, with the yes. decision makers all across your organization, management included. Some of them actually make decisions, so we got to help them out if, sometimes too. Yeah. If you're a listener and you have some ideas about this or things that, that you've run into or roadblocks or questions, please get in touch with us because this this is a work in progress. In other words, I think improving the ability of reliability to influence decisions is a topic that we need to keep open and learn for, learn about. Yeah. Even better is read the chapter in the book and let us know your thoughts. <laughs> please do. <laughs> the... Uh, a couple of ways for you to get in touch with us is go to ascendoreliability.com slash go. And there's a, a, two techniques there you can get in touch with us. And then there's also uh, Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through our, our about pages on Ascendo. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And um, I think, Carl, I, this is the time to decide that we're going to be finishing the I think podcast. we're making a decision here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Fred. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.